Hey, we're glad to have you here with us today at One Chapel. We're a church in Austin that helps people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. You can learn more about One Chapel and the things God is doing here at onechapel.com. Now, here is this week's message. Have you noticed that people in general don't like to read the directions? Have you noticed this? Like, like, like there's, there's this thing where people don't like to read the manuals that come with the stuff. Nowhere does this rear its ugly head in a greater way than Christmas morning. Many a Christmas morning ruined at the Parsley House because <laughs> I had to put together whatever it was. People don't like to read, read the directions. I, I was reading statistics this week. 64% of men never read the directions. What is wrong with the men? They just think they know how to do it. If you, if you call a tech helpline, tech helplines, they have a, a term for it. It's, 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 it's so common of a response that they give to people that they've shortened it to a little four letters, and it's RTFM. Read the full manual. Sometimes they replace that third word with something else, but it's so annoying how people don't read the manual. Ikea knows this, and so they got rid of all the directions, and now all you get is pictures. You ever tried to put an Ikea something together? Oh my gosh, it's, it's like rocket science. And I, I, I ran across as I was doing research, this, this meme which I like. It's a happy birthday, happy 75th birthday to Ikea. Here's your cake. <laughs> so that's a kind of rolling thing. Some of you are just now getting it, yeah. The problem is we don't read the directions until we're in the middle of the problem. And then we're like, Where, where's those directions? We don't get out the map until we're lost. It's a human way. And so here's the thing I want to I address today. Things go much better if we know where we are from the start. If we read the direction, we know what's going on. We know what's coming. Today we're going to start a brand new series in the book of James. And for the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at this book. And one of the things you'll see as we go through the book of James, it's one of the most practical books in the New Testament. It is, according to many, the how-to manual for the Christian life. The how-to manual to the Christian life. And when you look at the book of James, one of the major themes that James deals with is spiritual maturity. Spiritual maturity. And so, look at how the writers of Hebrews describe spiritual maturity. So let us stop going over the basic teachings about Christ again and again, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3 says. Let us go on instead and become mature, everybody say mature, mature in our understanding. Surely we don't need to start again with the fundamental importance of repenting from evil deeds and placing our faith in God. You don't need further instruction about baptism, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And so, God willing, we will move forward to further 
understanding. I love this verse because it emphasizes what we believe at One Chapel. We help people move from where they are to where God is taking them. Yes. Yes. Yes, you were right. (laughs) I wasn't correcting you. I was just expounding. We help people move from where they are to where God wants them to be. No matter if you are just starting out investigating the claims of Christ or if you're a a Christian, a believer who's been a believer for many, many years, there's more for you. There is more. And sometimes people get stuck and they get stuck in their lives because of hurts or, or brokenness or issues that have happened to them. But I want you to see through the book of James that it is God's will that you and I grow spiritually. We're going to ask today, how are you growing in spiritual maturity? And I was, again, doing a little research and looking around. I I ran across this spiritual development test. Spiritual development test. It's a a series of ifs. If this, then this. And so I'll just read it to you. It starts with, if you can live without caffeine... (laughs) If you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains. If you can resist complaining. If you can understand when your loved ones are too busy to give you any time. If you can take criticism and blame without resentment. If you can ignore a friend's limited education and never correct him or her. If you can resist treating a rich friend better than a poor friend. If you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you could sleep without the aid of drugs, if you can honestly say that deep in your heart you have no prejudice against creed, color, religion, gender, or politics, then you have almost reached the same level of spiritual development as your dog. The question is, what is spiritual maturity? When we look at it, what is it? Many people think they know because they think they have it. But in reality, I know many, many people who maybe even have believed in Jesus for a long time, but they've remained spiritually immature. So let's talk about what it's not. First of all, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. It has nothing to do with age. Many people think that you get wiser as you get older, but wisdom is not guaranteed with age. Some people just get old. <laughs> you can be a Christian for 50 years and not spiritually mature. The second spirit, secondly, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with achievement or what you can accomplish. Nothing to do with achievement. And you can, compl- you can accomplish a lot and still be very immature. You can have degrees, you can have letters after your name where you're super smart and intellectual but still be spiritually immature. Third, spiritual maturity is not comparing yourself to other people. In other words, you may feel like you're more spiritually mature than the person sitting next to you. And you, very me- wait, you may very well be more mature than them, but that is no guide for you because the person sitting next to you is not the standard by which you measure your spiritual maturity. 
Ephesians 4, 11 through 15 says, it was he who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers to prepare God's people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature. Everybody say mature. Attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of men in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. See, when you get down to it, spiritual maturity is what's going on on the inside of you. What's going on inside of you? It's your attitude. Everybody say attitude. It's your attitude. It's how you approach what's going on around you. It's also your character. Your character. What's going on inside? D.L. Moody said it this way. He said, character is what you are in the dark where no one can see. You see, recognition is what people say about you. Oh, she's so amazing. Oh, he's so awesome. He's such a great speaker. <laughs> Just random. <laughs> but character is what God says about you. Character is what God says about you. That's why spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age or achievement or accomplishments. Spiritual maturity is not marked by comparing yourself to other people, and spiritual maturity is marked only by comparing yourself to the Word of God, the Scriptures. You compare yourself with what the Scriptures say, and here in the book of James, James gives us five marks of spiritual maturity, and so we're going to go through them. Number one, a spiritually mature person is positive under pressure. Positive under pressure. We see this first mark in James chapter 1, verse 2 through 4. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. <laughs> that, that verse has never really made sense to me. Unless you really understand what God is doing in you through the trials. Because that's what verse 3 says. Because you know that the testing of your faith develops Perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you want to not lack anything? I, I don't want to lack. Okay, the, we kind of fixate on that phrase, but there's one right before it that accomplishes it. That you may be mature and complete. You've got to surrender to the process. The first test of maturity is how do you react to problems? How do you react to problems? Do problems blow you away? Do you get nervous? Do you get uptight? Do you get negative? Do you grumble and complain about everything that's happening? When problems come your way, how do you handle them? In your notes, I give you a, a little spot to rate yourself in this area. I'm going to have you rate yourself in each area. So on a scale of 1 to 10, I want you just to mark it. 1 is failing miserably. 10 is perfect. Okay? If you have a 10... We'll have an altar call at the end for repentance. <laughs> Rate yourself on how you react to problems. 
What do you do when problems come your way? John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life and have life more abundantly. See, Christianity is not a religion. It's not something you do on a Sunday. Christianity is a life. Christianity is a way of life. It's a way of seeing life. It's a way that that Jesus empowers us to live. Jesus empowers us to live, but he doesn't remove all the problems (laughs) and the difficulties. He doesn't remove us from those problems and difficulties. We live in this broken world. We live in a place that needs Jesus and his solutions. We live in this place where heaven is coming to earth, but it is not in full effect. And we are the ones who bring the kingdom of God to bear on this broken planet. And so what, what is your natural attitude, your natural bent when things don't go right and you're irritated? Are you negative or are you positive? Are, are you an optimist or are you a pessimist? I'm a realist. Everybody knows that realists are really pessimists. My wife is an optimist. She helps me see it clearly. So what's your natural bent? Are you basically a supportive person or are you a skeptical person? Is your life filled with gratitude or grumbling? Are you affirmative or are you angry most of the time? James 1.12 says, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. See, you can have great knowledge of the Bible. And you can, you can have all this amazing information and still be a cantankerous SOB. I said it. See, I said it. Some of you are like, he can't say that in church. What, you've never seen those two, three letters before? Church people. Here's the point. Knowledge doesn't make you spiritually mature. Actually, it can just make you annoying. Being positive under pressure, being positive under pressure, that's the mark of spiritual maturity. Number two, a spiritual, spiritually mature person is sensitive to people. We see this second mark in James chapter 2, verse 8. It says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. See, a spiritually mature person is sensitive to people. In other words, you don't just see your own needs. You see others' needs. You see other people's needs. You understand their hurts. You're not just interested in yourself. Think about it with kids. I've raised five kids, every single one of them. I had to train them. They're immature. They go through a process. All they say is, I want mine, mine, I want this, I want that. They're only thinking about themselves. And you have to train them out of it. They don't think about other people. They think about themselves. That's what children do because they're immature. But listen, everybody. God says that love, which can be defined as being interested in others, 
truly attentive to others. Love is a mark of spiritual maturity. James chapter two, verse one through six says this. He gets very specific about it. He says, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes and a poor man in shabby clothes also comes in. If you show some special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? but you have insulted the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? James is identifying in this little group of believers, this community, a problem between social economic classes. They're not treating one another with respect, with love. They're mistreating. They're ignoring some people and they're attentive to the wrong people. See, James says don't show favoritism. Don't be a snob. Don't look down on people. Don't judge by appearance. Don't insult people. Don't exploit people. And that's why the second test of spiritual maturity is love. How do you treat other people? So in your notes, rate yourself in this area, scale of one to 10. Rate yourself on how you treat other people. Yes. Other people include your family members. Apostle Paul says it this way, 1 Corinthians 13, 1 through 3, says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge and if I have a faith that can move mountains but have not love, I am, what does it say? Nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. We just went through a series for the last eight or nine weeks on the Holy Spirit. And a bunch of you had really amazing encounters with the Holy Spirit. And you became more attentive and more aware of His work in your life. But it doesn't matter what gift you think you have or what language you can speak in that God gave you. If you're not motivated by love, you're missing the whole point. Listen. Listen, there's a thing that that we talked about this last series, how the Holy Spirit is not about you having an experience, it's about others experiencing God through you. The Holy Spirit is always leaning into others. This is what Jesus essentially says when he's speaking in Matthew 25, and he's talking about judgment the judgment that is to come, verse 31 through 40 says, when the Son of Man comes in all His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit on His throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on His right and the goats on His left. 
And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me. And I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and, I, and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick and are in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You know, isn't it interesting that Here in this Matthew 25 judgment scene, the one thing we will be judged for is how we treated other people. Not how many Bible verses we know, not how many times we were in church, not not how great a reputation we have as Christian leaders, but how we treated other people, especially people who are marginalized or hurting or in trouble. That's the mark of spiritual maturity. Number three, a spiritually mature person has mastered their mouth. <laughs> has mastered their mouth. We see this third mark in James chapter 3, verse 2. It says, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. Whoa, did you see that verse? No, some of you are like writing stuff down. Check this out. Read it. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. What's the, what's the one thing, like the, kind of the first thing that the doctor tells you when you go to a doctor's appointment and he's starting to kind of evaluate you? What does he say? Stick out your tongue. <laughs> go ahead. Do it. Stick out your tongue. I just want to see how many of you would do it. You stick out, you stick out your tongue. You stick out your tongue, and, it, ah, and he kind of looks. It's kind of the first place to start. Well, similarly, God begins with your tongue. He uses your tongue to check your spiritual health. God does that, spiritually speaking, as a matter of evaluating self-control, which is a fruit of the Spirit. A fruit of the Spirit is self-control. And with the fruit of the Spirit, self-control comes tongue control. Because the tongue is the indicator of what's going on in here. Jesus said, out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. And so we get ourselves in so much trouble because of what we let come out of our mouths. Have you ever heard anyone say, well, I just say what's on my mind? You know, I just, I shoot, I'm a straight shooter. They're kind of proud of it, right? It's like, like being frank, being up front. Uh, they say what's on their mind. Well, you know what? The Bible says that's not frankness. That's immaturity. That's immaturity. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't say anything that would hurt another person. Instead, speak only what is good so that you can give help wherever it is needed. That way, what you say will help those who hear you. In other words, watch what you say. When you talk, you don't just say things to build yourself up. So many people don't know how to have a conversation, a decent conversation with others because they just talk about themselves all the time. 
your responsibility with what you say as a Christian, as a spiritually mature person, is to help build other people up. If it doesn't build somebody up, don't say it. What did your mom teach you? If you can't say anything nice, even if it's the truth, even if it's the truth, you know, truth can, like gossip can be truth. The truth doesn't always need to be said in a moment. You have to refrain. You have to, you have to hold back until there's love so you can speak the truth in love. That's a mark of spiritual reality, spiritual maturity, and the reality of our interaction with other people. A spiritually mature person manages their mouth and builds people up. So in your notes, rate yourself in this area, scale of 1 to 10. Rate yourself on how you manage your mouth. James 1.26 says, If anyone considers himself religious and yet does not keep a tight rein on his tongue, he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. Oh my goodness. I've, if, see, if I've memorized a thousand Bible verses, if I've been through every Bible study in the book, if I go to church and never miss a service, you will make your pastor very happy. But God won't be impressed. God's not impressed. If you're a gossip, and you're, then your religion is worthless. If you spread rumors, your religion is worthless. If, if, if you're always saying things, if, if, you're, if the things you say are not accurate, there's an exaggeration always attached. If I speak impulsively, the scripture says my religion is worthless. See, the test of spiritual maturity is whether or not you can manage your mouth. You guys with me? Number four, a spiritually mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. A spiritually mature person is a peacemaker, not a troublemaker. We see this in Mark, uh, this Mark again in James chapter 4, verse 1 through 2. says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. James is talking about conflict, and the question you have to answer today is, how do I handle conflict? Do I like to argue? Am I a contentious person? Do I get my feelings hurt easily? Do I get defensive do I hurt other people's feelings? <coughs> Excuse me. In other words, am I a peacemaker or am I a troublemaker? So think about this for your life. Think about this for your life. In your notes, rate yourself in this area on a scale of 1 to 10. How do you handle conflict? How do you handle it? In chapter 4, James gives us two reasons why we have so much conflict in our lives. Verse 3, chapter 4 says, when you ask, in other words, when you ask God, he's referring to, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. There's two causes of conflict we need to stay away from, and I think conflict happens pretty naturally in life, but we shouldn't be the cause of it all the time. 
the first reason why there is so much conflict in the world, why there is so much conflict in my marriage, why there is so much conflict where I work, where there is so much conflict between me and a former friend, where there's so much conflict between me and another Christian, why there is so much conflict between me and God is because of selfishness. Selfishness. See, I want what I want when I want it. And if I live like that, I'm going to have conflict with people. When Amy and I have a conflict, it's because she was selfish and proud and she doesn't (laughs) want to admit that she was wrong. (laughs) No, that's not true. It's usually because I'm being selfish and I'm proud and I don't want to admit that I was wrong. Why don't we want to admit that we Why don't we want to admit that we were wrong? I don't want to admit that I was wrong and I don't want to read directions. Yeah, that's right. Selfishness guarantees conflict at work, at home, at church, at school, whatever, because we're just looking out for number one. I'm just looking out for me. If you're looking out for number one, you're going to have a lot of conflict. Second cause of conflict is judging others. Judging others, James 4, 11 through 12 says, Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? See, when we look for fault in others, when we stir up strife, when we spread rumors, we're guilty of judgmentalism, and that will always cause conflict. God says judgmental people are spiritually immature. Judgmental people, spiritually immature. And so the fourth characteristic of a spiritually mature person is whether you are a peacemaker or whether you're a troublemaker. Number five, a spiritually mature person is patient and prayerful. Patient and prayerful. We see this fifth mark in James 5 Verse 7, be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop and how patient he is for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against each other, brothers, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. This passage, I think, is so filled with content. We could do a whole message right here because what you have to understand is there is a judge and you are not him. James gives the illustration of the farmer. If anybody has to have patience, it's a farmer. We don't have a lot of farmers in Austin, right? So we we can get whatever we want anytime we want it if we simply have a smartphone and a credit card. We can get it the same day delivery, which I love. But if I get used to that, I lose sight of what God's trying to work in me which he's always trying to work patience into my life. Farmers do a lot of waiting. He plants a seed, he prays, he hopes, he expects, he waits. There are no overnight crops. Just like a farmer has to wait, sometimes we have to wait as well. We have to wait on God for an answer to prayer. We have to wait on God for a miracle. We have to wait on God to work in our lives. We, we have to wait. See, patience is a mark of spiritual 
maturity. And the only way, sadly, sadly, the only way you learn patience is by waiting. I know. I wish there was another way. Patience is actually a fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit in your life. But there is no way to cultivate that fruit, no way to to deal with the seeds without waiting. Verse 16 through 18 says, therefore, confess your sins. And chapter 5 says, therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous man is powerful and effective. Verse 17 says, Elijah was a man just like us. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. If anybody was patient, it was Elijah. You can read the story in the scriptures. He was patient and prayerful, and that's a mark of spiritual maturity. So go ahead, rate yourself right now. Think about your own life. On a scale of one to ten, rate yourself. How patient are you? So how well did you do? How well? Not very well? Good news. Good news. We're going through this series in James, and I think it's going to be so good. I know this isn't an easy kind of message for you to embrace, but I think God wants to do so much in us and through us because he's got great purpose ahead for us as a church. I want you to close your eyes right now, and I want you to take this moment here before we come to the Lord's table, and I want to address a few issues with God. Just close your eyes right where you are, and I'm going to kind of lead you. I'm going to lead you through a prayer. I want to take a moment because it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks about you. It only matters what God thinks about you. You can fool me. You can fool the other people around you. None of us can fool God. He knows exactly what's in your heart, so I want you to open your heart to him today. Some of you, when it comes to the first area of being positive under pressure, some of you need to pray, God, will you change my attitude? Will you change my attitude from one of gripping onto control? Change my attitude of griping? change it into gratefulness. God, will you help me handle the problems in life and not be negative about them? Teach me about being positive under pressure. Some of you need to pray. Lord, please forgive me. I've been insensitive to the people around me. I don't lean in. I'm always thinking about me. Help me to be sensitive to people. Help me to love people. I don't, I don't want to act as if they don't matter. Teach me how to open my eyes and see the way you see them. When it comes to the third area, mastering your mouth, some of you need to pray, God, I'm so sorry. I've been a gossip. I've spread rumors. I've talked behind people's backs. I've I've shared things that were not positive, were not for the building up, but for the tearing down. God, help me to not be so impulsive with my mouth. Lord, I know you said if I can't control my mouth, my religion is worthless, so help me. Watch my speech and only speak what builds up. 
Some of you, when it comes to the fourth area, being a peacemaker, not a troublemaker, some of you need to pray, God, you know I, I've got a temper and I ask you to help me with it. You know I've got pride in my life. Help me with it. Lord, you know how easy it is for me to judge other people. Help me to realize that's, that all that's going to do is to cause conflict and stir up strife. Help me to realize you are God and I'm not. Help me to realize I don't have all the facts. I don't know all the motives. Help me leave the judgment to you. And some of, them, some of you, when it comes to the fifth area of being patient and prayerful, some of, some of you have been waiting a long time for an answer, for a change, for a healing. And you might need to pray today, God, help me to grow in patience. Help me to develop my prayer life, to talk to you more to show my dependence on you by talking to you about every area of my life. Make me a patient and prayerful person. Father, I thank you for your word that we've heard this morning. And I thank you for this book of James that's such a practical manual on Christian living. Thank you that it deals not with theory, but with areas that we all need to work in. And I pray that you would speak to us about our attitudes, our actions, our words, our thoughts, our relationships. Help us, Lord, every one of us, to mature spiritually, to grow up, and to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for being here with us today. If God is doing something in your life or you're looking for ways to get connected, we want to help. You can find everything you need online at onechapel.com slash welcome. You can subscribe to future messages on your favorite podcast player, and you're always invited to services every Sunday morning at 930 and 1130. We'll see you next time.